Wonderful. <clears throat> well, we're going to wrap up a series today that we've been uh, working our way through the last two weeks. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We've been talking about becoming agents of the treasury, God's treasury. People who stop in, if you will, to God's storehouse, load up on the good things that God has for us in life and goes out and disperses that throughout the world. Uh, we talked in week one about breaking the spirit of mine as the first step necessary in becoming an agent of God's treasury. Uh, last week, we talked about embracing the spirit of trust, that if we begin to trust God with all that we have and all that we are, we can be true agents of God's riches. Today, we're going to wrap up the series, and we're going to talk about the handbook, if you will, of becoming an agent, the five things that the Apostle Paul is going to line outline for us that will help us to become full-fledged agents, if you will, of God's treasury. Uh, I told you a few weeks ago, as part of my personal story and recognizing God's provision and work in my life, when my wife and I first got married, we knew that she was to go to school, and we also knew that I was supposed to work, and also that the, the Lord may have children for us in the near future. And so for many years, early in our marriage with my wife in school and, and us as, as a one-income family and, and kids coming uh, into our lives, things were very, very tight. And during those years, uh, eight, nine years ago, I would come to church often, and a gentleman would shake my hand, and every time this guy would shake my hand, there would be a $20 bill in his hand that would be transferred to mine. To anybody who ever saw this, it probably looked like a drug deal. And I tried to be as discreet as possible because I didn't want anybody to think this guy was getting product from me. But anyhow, uh, week after week for, for a number of years, uh, I would get that handshake and there'd be a $20 bill. And oftentimes this gentleman would whisper in my ear, take your wife to lunch. And I'd think that's, that's really close to what I'm going to do with this $20 bill because things were so tight at that time in my life, that $20 bill was not going to be lunch on Sunday. That was going to be lunch Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We'd go straight to the market, and that was a pound of turkey, and that was a, a, a stalk of celery, and, and that was a bag of carrots, and that was a bag of apples, and, and that was lunch for the week. And so many times that was God's provision. So many times there was uh, very little in the checkbook, very little in the account, and we would get that handshake, and it would be like, thank you, God. We, we have what we need to, to get us through to our next paycheck. It was one of those, uh, I, and, and how many of you could, could, could look at me and say, you know what, Pastor Matt, I have stories like that, me or, or me and my spouse, we could write a book about all the times that God provided for us in ways like that. I mean, it's just remarkable how many times that $20 was what saw us through to our next paycheck. Well, a couple, a couple of years later, uh, af after this had gone on, the, the gentleman came to me, and, and, and our circumstances changed, and my wife got her RN degree, and, 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 and I became senior pastor here, and, and that comes with a, with a, with a rate hike, and, and, and he came to me, and he says, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore, and I said, okay, he said, I'd like to do that for somebody else to whom that would be a benefit, and by that time in my life, it was like, praise God, I hope you do. Because that was such a blessing to us so many times. Well, I was talking, telling somebody about this provision in my life over the course of the years with, with just this simple thing. And he goes, oh, you got the holy handshake too. And I said, <laughs> I said the holy handshake? He goes, yeah, that's what me and my wife call it. We call it the holy handshake. And, and I said, oh, I said, that's an interesting, interesting way of uh, phrasing it. So he, he left and I thought, holy handshake? What's holy about that? 
Uh, but, but as I was preparing for this, for this particular series, I thought, you know what? That was a holy handshake. That was. Because that $20 was, uh, was not, and, and I don't know if he got $20, $50, or $100. If he got more than that, I'm going to go back and ask. But anyhow, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I can, but but I, 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 that $20 w- was not a gift from a person. That was provision from the Lord. That was money that was set aside to the service of God to sustain one of God's people. In fact, a couple of God's people, my wife and however many kids I had at the time. That, that was God's provision. See, that's what we're talking about being an agent of the treasury. That, 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 that we, our finances are so submitted to God that when, when, when we pour in to the church life, to, to the life of others, benevolence, missions, free will offerings, when we submit our money to God in a way that pleases the Lord, we become an agent of his treasury and he gets the glory. That's what this is all about. And, and, and I, can't, I, I had you raise your hands a minute ago. I, I never expected, when I, when I started this three-week mini-series, I've had it on the back burner since August, I have never expected to like stand in the Welcome Center and have so many people stop and want to tell me their story about how, how God had sent agents of his treasury into their lives over and over and over again. And how, in many cases, now they are agents of God's treasury. They are out there being the ones giving those financial gifts that are bringing God glory. Now, if you're new here this morning, we are a Bible-based church, and, and, and we, we really try to get into the scriptures immediately upon starting a message after a brief introduction. But I, I have to set the stage for you for this passage today. So I'm going to take a few more minutes before we read 2 Corinthians 9. So I don't want you to be like, is this guy just going to spout off about what he thinks today? No, we're going to preach the Bible, all right? But I want to set the stage for you because to understand what's going play, go, taking place in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, we, we have to understand a tale of three churches because Paul is going to exhort the church in Corinth to become agents of God's treasury. And he's going to lay out a treatise here, a, a, a theological uh, basis for what it means to be uh, agents of God's treasury, what it truly means to be people whose lives uh, and their finances are submitted to God. And he's going to give us some great points, but we have to read it within context, and I don't want to read it to you until we have set the context. And so to set the context, I want to tell you what's really going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is a tale of three churches, a tale of three churches. There was a church in Judea. You know Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, those places where Jesus ministered. There was a church in Judea. It's, it's the church that's talked about in Acts chapter 1 through 10, 1 through 12. Uh, it, it, it's the church that, that spawned, if you will, the entire Christian movement throughout the world. Its early leaders were Peter and John and the brother of Jesus, James, who all wrote, of course, epistles in our Bible. These guys were the leaders of that church, and it was from this church that all of the world churches came. All of the people who called themselves Christians came. Now, 20 years after the fact, that church had begun to be severely persecuted. Uh, Peter had moved on to world missions. John had moved on to world missions. By this time, James might have already been martyred. We might have moved on to another brother of Jesus leading this church whose name was Simon. But the Christians in the region of Judea, modern-day Israel, these were folks who had become incredibly poor because they were incredibly oppressed. They were pushed to the margins of society The Orthodox Jews of the time would have no part of those who had said the Messiah had come to save the people of the world. And so these people were oppressed. They weren't allowed to be engaged in commerce. It was a hard time to be a Christian in Judea. So Paul, who writes so much of our New Testament, 
the apostle, the, the sent one to the Gentiles, Paul begins to go to the churches that he has founded in various areas and saying, you know what, we should take up a free will offering for the church in Judea. We, who are the beneficiaries of their ministry, should now benefit them. So he goes to these Gentile churches all over the Greco-Roman world and begins to take up a massive offering that he and his ministry associates are going to go and hand deliver to the church in Judea as a means of being agents of God's treasury. So the first church he goes to is in Macedonia, not up Route 8, Macedonia Greek, all right? First church he goes to is Macedonia. The interesting thing about the Macedonians is they were oppressed too. The Macedonians lived in an area of the world where people were not real keen on becoming Christian. They were already having economic sanctions uh, against them, and it was not a very rich place to begin with. Imagine for a moment if Paul was taking a free will offering and he, and he went into a, a very poor area of the inner city and began to take up an offering. That was Macedonia. But what happens when Paul and his associates take this offering from Macedonia that's so remarkable is they took in a massive offering from the poor folks. The poor folks go ahead and take up a massive offering for the poor Judeans. The Macedonians gave out of their sacrifice and lack in order to bless the people who were their spiritual forebears in Judea. And Paul's amazed by this. But as the context for 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul also allowed the church in Corinth to participate in this free will offering. And he says, folks, it's time for us to help the churches in Judea. And you know what the people in Corinth said? You bet. We're going to help the churches in Judea. Corinth was one of the richest places on earth at the time. The, the folks in Corinth had money. In fact, we fi find out from uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they had so much money and they, they had so much leisure time, they had enough time to argue theology. So, so they had money. They, they, were in a, they were in good shape. And they said, yes, Paul, we will give to that Judean church, but then they really didn't do anything. They really never took up the collection. They never completed the pledge that they'd made. And Paul's writing into this circumstance, and he's saying, hey, folks in Corinth, I know you're good people. I know you love Jesus. I know you have a good heart. It is time to become full-fledged agents of God's treasury. So I'm going to encourage you toward that in these two chapters. But Paul ends with a flourish, and the flourish begins in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. And he's going to give us five reasons and five ways to become full-fledged agents in God's treasury. I want to talk to you about those for the next 20 minutes today. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Are you there? If not, it's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. The point is this, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Three more verses. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints in Judea, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. 
By the Judeans' approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Paul ends with a flourish, these two chapters, and I encourage you, if you love to study your Bible, go back and read 8 and 9 so that you can test what I'm telling you today and see if I'm on track with the tale of these three churches. But he ends with this flourish, and he wants to tell these Corinthians, here's how you go about becoming an agent of God's treasury. There are some concepts that you need to have in your back pocket if you really want to become a model agent, someone who really is able to give into the work of the Lord the way you're supposed to give. And the first concept of this, and it comes from verse 6 and 7, it says, agents must freely disperse agency funds. Look at verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So Paul is using an agricultural metaphor to try to explain what he means by this. A couple of years ago, I told you weeks ago in a sermon that we pulled up all the pachysandra in our yard, and then we decided to plant grass. And it was, it was quite the ordeal, but there was such a, a sense of satisfaction when, when one of my buddies here at the church brought out the big bag of seed. And he just had this seed, and he would reach in, and he'd just scatter it throughout the yard. And he'd reach in, and he'd get this big handful of seed, and he'd scatter it throughout the yard. And me being the thrifty guy that I am, I, I looked a couple of times and I thought, boy, he's throwing a lot of seed out there. He could save some of that for later. And, and you know, some of that seed was going to fall on rocky soil, wasn't it? And some of that seed was going to fall among not the thorns and the thistles, but the pachysandra, right, that, we, that we'd missed. And not all of it was going to come in quite perfectly, but I want to tell you, I, I, got, a, I got a beautiful picture of what Paul meant by this, because, because uh, this gentleman, he, he threw out so much seed into the yard, and when that grass began to grow, it was just a beautiful thing. It was lush, and it was full, and I had to cut it far too many times in a week to keep up with it. It was great. He sowed bountifully, and the harvest was bountiful. That's the concept that we must have in our minds as we give into the work of the Lord. We must, as agents of God's treasury, freely disperse agency funds because it's all God's anyways. He owns it, and he's giving it to us on loan. We can't take any of it with us, so we might as well use it into God's ministry, and it's better to err on the side of bounty than on the side of sparingly. There's a billionaire uh, who operates out of Cleveland. I won't say his name because it's, it's a bad name among some. It's Dan Gilbert. Anyhow, Dan Gilbert, owner of the Cavaliers, likes to say, a penny saved is just a penny. I love that quote. Isn't it great? I don't know what he means by that, and I'm not crazy about casinos, but he says, a penny saved is just a penny, and he's a billionaire. He realizes that you have to invest into something to get a return on something. And Paul is using this agricultural metaphor to say you have to invest into something and you need to err on the side of generosity in order that bountiful harvest may come in. For them, practically, the the folks in Corinth are probably never going to get to see the effect on the Judean church. They're never going to get to see it. Uh, In a couple of weeks, we'll see a video from the La Fuente church. Remember two, two falls ago, we as a church bought a church a church? Remember that? It was awesome. We're going to see all the work that was done on that church because we sowed bountifully into that field. These folks in Corinth, they were never, ever going to see that. But what could they expect? Well, they could expect God to take what they had sowed 
and increase the harvest of righteousness. Because those folks in Judea were going to be able to stay alive. They were going to be able to eat something. And perhaps if they ate something, they'd have the energy to go share the gospel with more people. And perhaps that has been their, as had been their custom, the church in Judea would send out more missionaries into the world to win people for Christ. Perhaps they would be able to send more good teachers into the world to spread good theology about the burgeoning religion of Christianity. Perhaps those Judean folks were able to support their leadership so they could give their time to the study and the preaching of the word. The, the people in Corinth might have never seen the effects of what was going to take place in Judea, but Paul was going to say to them something that he knew to be true about giving into God's ministry, that if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully, that good things will happen. Second things agents must do, according to Paul, is agents must get a kick out of giving. Everybody loves to say, the Lord loveth a cheerful giver, right? You got to say loveth because that's the King James, it's more spiritual to say it that way. The Lord loveth the cheerful giver, right? The Lord loves people who get a kick out of giving. This is what happens when you have fully submitted your finances to God. We're not going to stay here for a long time this morning because it's sort of what we've been talking about the last two weeks, isn't it? Really, we can get a kick out of giving when we, when we begin to experience the results of the freedom we have from the spirit of mind. When we begin to have liberty, when we begin to have liberty. I love this, this, this uh, thing that we have up on the screen today, and, and I, I, I chose it for a specific reason for this moment in these, this series, because literally when you become an agent of God's treasury, you have liberty from the spirit of mine. And when you give freely of what God has given you, you are saying, in God I trust. In God I trust. Wouldn't it be great if, 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 if American money was submitted to God the way that our currency actually states on it? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because we, as the people of God, we have found liberty when the spirit of mind that is with us from birth, that broken spirit of mind I keep, I hoard, I need, when that is broken, we get free. And we talked about in week one, and if you missed the sermon, vlchurch.com, undergrow, scroll down, you'll find it, download it, listen in your car, you'll enjoy it, I promise. The spirit of mind, when that gets broken, you get free. You get free. And we talked about starting somewhere, listening to the voice of God when he says, give, and you say, no, and he says, give, and you say, no, and he says, give, and you say, all right. That is not being a cheerful giver, is it? That's sort of giving under compulsion, but you could always say that's not the voice of the Lord. I remember a couple of years ago, and I told you I was very open with this two weeks ago. I, I, I struggle. I am getting set free from the spirit of mine. And I remember a few years ago, I had started saving for the Christmas season in July. I wanted to have enough so I could, you know, bless my children, bless my wife, just have a wonderful time of giving. And, 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 and I had saved for six months. I had never been that dedicated in saving for what I knew would be a massive expense. Thank you, Dave Ramsey. So I had saved and I had saved. And, 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 and something happened that didn't happen to me very often at this point. I, I came to church on Christmas Sunday and I was accompanied by a couple of my buddies named Benjamin. One person got it. I had some hundos in my wallet, all right, which doesn't happen very often. I have children, okay? So, so I, 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 but I had saved, and I, I, had a, I had a little nest egg by which I could, I could give my family a really nice Christmas. I was really excited about it, really excited. 
And so I was standing there in the office, and we were trying to get coats on kids and boots on kids, and I have a couple of hundos with me, and I looked out the window, and I saw a family walking across the church parking lot, and all of a sudden I said, God, no. <laughs> no! And I looked at Gina, and God was working on me. He was working on me. He still hasn't broken the spirit completely in me. I said, Gina, I'm supposed to give this money to them. She said, okay, because she doesn't have the spirit of mine on her like it's on me. It makes me so upset. <laughs> okay. It's like, all right. So I, I had some extra Christmas cards in my desk, and I, and, I, and, I, and I threw those Benjamins into that Christmas card, and I closed it up, and I wrote their name on it like I'd thought about it beforehand. It was deceitful. I, Lord, forgive me. And it was spur of the moment. And I ran out, and, and, I, and I said, this is for you. Merry Christmas. And I walked back in, and I thought, God, all of my planning, I'm so upset with you. I, I, had, I had budgeted. I'm not good with money. I had budgeted. I had listened to Dave Ramsey. I had budgeted for Christmas, and now you have me give my Christmas money away. Why are you doing this? And before we left on that Christmas Sunday, we stopped by my box, my mailbox at the church, and I had three times that amount given to me in gifts. And I, wouldn't I have felt like the biggest jerk in the world if I had not given that money? Wouldn't I have felt like the Ebenezer Scrooge of all Ebenezer Scrooges in that moment? You know why God does this? And I want to tell you, if you're new here this morning, we have been fighting against the idea. I'm going to preach until about uh, 10 till today. Is that okay? Are we all right? All right. For those of you who, who, who set your pot roast in, in, in on, on the timer, I apologize. It's going to be dry. All right. I'm going to go a little bit over. I, we had communion today. I'm sorry. It's longer. All right. But I need to get this out. I've been waiting for months. Anyhow, so, so I want to tell you, God, God I'm, we're not trying to tell you that every time that you give, God is then going to give you twofold or threefold or fourfold or fivefold or tenfold or your Cadillac. That is not true. But when God determines to break the spirit of mine in you, he's going to prove himself to you over and over and over again until you trust him. Until you trust him. He's going to go over and over and over again and say, why do you not trust me? And that's the second thing that happens. Val, give me those next two bullet points, results of liberty and results of trust. That's how we become cheerful givers because we've seen God provide over and over and over and over again. And you know what? God does not disappoint. Look at verse 8, that grace may abound in you. Look at verse 9, God distributes freely. It's part of his nature. Look at verse 10, God wants to multiply your seed for sowing. Look at verse 11, he wants to enrich you in every way. I would also be lying to you this morning if I said as you start giving into the work of God's ministry, he is only going to give you enough to get by and you're just going to have to grin and bear it. I'd be lying to you because God owns the cattle on the thousand hills. He will take care of you. He will show you that he is the boss. He will go over and above. He will show you that he cares when you give in to his work. I promise you that. You know why I can promise you that? His word promises you that. Malachi chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Oh, and Jesus said it a couple dozen times. Okay, that's hyperbole a couple of times. That's who God is. I was talking to my mom about this series before I started a few months ago, or a few weeks ago. We were sitting in her house, and, and, and I had seen this take place in my parents' life, and now I've seen this truth take, take place in my life as, as far as the Lord loveth the cheerful giver. And, and she told me this story. I was, I was going through the closet, and, and my mom had a couple of jackets that were my dad. And she said, you want those? I said, sure. So I was going to grab them. And she told me the story of the jacket. And I said, she said, there's a story behind that jacket. I said, well, what is it? She says, you know, Th that jacket was at a church auction about 20 years ago. 
And she, it was an Indian's jacket. It was a real nice Indian's jacket. She said that church was, that was at a church auction. And she says, she said, we were, we were giving to the Lord, and, and, and it was after a time that the Lord had challenged your dad in a way to give more than we were presently giving. And I was, she said, she, she's, she's more like me, forgive me, Mom, but, 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 but there's always one who's, who, who needs to come a little bit further, right, in that, in that breaking the spirit of mine, right? So Dad had decided we were going to do more, and then Mom decided, oh, how are we going to do that? And so they did. So they were at this auction, and my mom said she felt in her spirit she was supposed to bid on that jacket for my dad. She goes, I really want to give that to him. He is so generous. He loves the Lord so much. He would love that jacket. I want to get that for him, but the bidding got real high. And she said, I felt so bad because I wanted to give your dad that jacket. I don't know why I was so interested in giving your dad that jacket. And she said, I left that day, and I thought, I should be able to buy that for him. I feel so bad. Why can't I buy that jacket for your dad? She said, I cried. I cried when we left that auction. She said, we went home that afternoon and there was a knock on the door. And she said, a man was there and he was holding up an Indian's jacket. He said, Pastor, I want you to know that I bid on this jacket for you today. She said, I want to give this to you and then I'm going to take you to opening day in April. Okay, how does that sound? Now, now I'm not telling you that because I want you to give me an Indian's jacket. Just got one. That's really nice. I'm not telling, and please, please, please hear this. Please hear this. Please, please do not make me the object of, 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 of your giving if God doesn't tell you to. Okay, don't, don't, don't do that. Okay? That is, not, that is not why I preach things like this or mention what God did in my dad's life. I mention that to say that God cares even about the little things. And he wants to show you just how much he's there when you trust him with everything. He cares even about the little things. He'll take care of you. Dad would have survived without his Indian's jacket, but God wanted to bless him with that, so he did. Third thing, agents love to give God glory. Agents love to give God glory. I want to go back to this for just a moment. Go ahead in verse 11 with me, all right? He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So Paul says, we get to take this offering to Judea. We're pumped about it, and people are going to be thanking God for it. And he wants them to know the ministry of this service, verse 12, is not only in supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. God's going to get so much glory through this. By the Judeans, verse 13, approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission. God is going to be thanked and he's going to be glorified, and that's the center, that's the reason that we become agents of God's treasury. We're not looking for personal praise. We're not looking for people to go, wow, what a Christian, when we give. In fact, Jesus says, when you give your alms, when, when you give gifts to the poor, don't let your right hand know what the other hand is doing. You, you don't need to be all about people seeing you do this, because in essence, it's all about who God is. Can you imagine the Judeans receiving this offering? Macedonia, Corinth, where's that? This was the ancient world. The, the church in where gave us what? Why would they do that? Notice it doesn't say, and they will be thrilled with the church in Corinth. They will think the church in Corinth is super awesome. Paul says God's going to be thanked and God's going to be glorified. We mentioned that church that we, that we, we sowed into in Jalisco, Mexico. We mentioned that. 
Do you think they, do you think they thought, wh- where in the world is Stowe, Ohio? And why do they care about us? Yeah, they probably thought that, but what really takes place when a gift like that comes in? Wow, God, you supplied. Wow, God, thank you. Wow, God, thank you. They may forget Stowe, Ohio, but they will not forget the living God. And that's what it's all about. Number four, agents love to fund God's agenda. Paul mentions that, listen, you are practically supplying the needs of the saints. Yes, yes, you are giving glory to God in that, but you are practically supplying the work of the ministry. That means we, as we love to fund God's agenda, we have to take the long view. When we give, we have to say, what is God up to? What does God want me to do in this world to have the greatest amount of impact? How can I give into God's work? Do you know that I do believe in random acts of kindness, but I'm, I'm really not into random acts of giving? Random acts of kindness are great because we are, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I only know that because my kids sing a song. Thanks, Miss Jenny. But anyhow... I don't believe in, in random, random acts of giving. I believe in God-directed acts of giving. I believe that our money is to be submitted to God. I don't, think, I don't think that we should always be, oh, that sounds good, whatever. I do believe that we're supposed to think, what is God up to? God, what are you speaking to me? God, what are you telling me in my heart to give? Because I love to fund your agenda. Whether it be through my church and what my church is doing, that's why I give my tithes and my offerings to my church, whether it be through the Benevolence Committee of my church who takes care of those in need, whether it be to the missionaries that we support to make sure that they can reach far afield in the world of people who are out there that need to hear the gospel, whether it be people in my neighborhood that, that I can take care of in some way and say, that's because I love Jesus. However it comes, what is God up to? Agents of the Treasury love to fund God's agenda. They give cheerfully into God's agenda Tithes and offerings on, on a weekly or, or bi-monthly basis are, are a source of joy because they're excited about what God's doing in their church, through their church, in the world, through their missionaries, through their benevolence committee. They're excited about what God is doing. Got to be into God's church, into God's people. The final thing is this. Agents will have a lasting impact on eternity. There was something that stuck out to me that was so interesting in this particular passage. It's where I want to end today. Look at verse 10. Paul says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also multiply your supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Did you catch that? First he says, and we've already hit this principle, but I, I want to hit it one more time. God's interested in you pouring into what he's doing in the world so he can give you more to pour into what he's doing in the world. God, that's why God does that. Not so that you can gain riches, that's the spirit of mine, but that you can pour more into what he's doing in the world. But, but the end of this sentence is what caught me when I read this passage. And, verse 10, increase the harvest of your righteousness. Agents will have a lasting impact on eternity, and God is interested in increasing the harvest of your and my righteousness. God wants us to get to heaven and go, look at all you did, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
There's a cool movie that w came out in the 1930s called You Can't Take It With You. It's all about people who, who had gotten out of the rat race so they could live in a way that they felt like God was leading them to live. But the truth is, we as Christians must remember constantly that the only thing that we're taking with us into eternity are souls. That's it. The only thing we're taking with us to heaven are the souls that we have impacted here on earth. That's why Jesus said in, 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 in Luke chapter 16 that we should use our unrighteous mammon so that when we have done so, we will be welcomed into eternal homes. Our unrighteous wealth can have an impact on eternity. Money's just money. Finances are just finances. But money and finances in the hand of God have the opportunity to increase the harvest of our righteousness here on earth. Let not our epitaph be, God, we gave you our time, but you couldn't touch our treasure. Because your treasure can have an impact on eternity. What you give to fund God's agenda can help to save souls. And that is what it boils down to. We are in the people business. There was a song that was written many years ago, and it's been sang on this stage so many times. It was a song that was called, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. Everybody over 50 is like, yes, amen. Everybody under 40 is like, oh, never heard of that. But I want to read to you the words from the second and third verse today because it's a good way to close our message. This particular song is all about a guy or a gal who dreams they go to heaven with another guy or gal. I don't think it's gender specific. And when they get to heaven, people keep coming up to this person and thanking them for giving to the Lord. I want to read you the second and third verses. It says that another man stood before you, and he said, you remember the time? A missionary came to your church, and his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took that gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Verse 3, one by one they came, as far as the eye could see. Each one somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth. Heaven now proclaims. Heaven now proclaims. You have the opportunity to increase the harvest of your life's righteousness if you'll submit worldly wealth to an eternal God. You say, Pastor Matt, you mentioned at the beginning of your message the holy handshake, and yes, I did. You might say, well, what kind of eternal impact did that make? So you got a bag of apples. I'll tell you the eternal impact that that made. Every time my wife and I would get that gift, we'd go home and we'd thank God. And we'd say to each other, we cannot wait for the day that we can give like that. That gentleman was instrumental in making two more agents. And I don't know what God's done through his life and other ways that he has given. 
and I don't know what he's going to do through my life in the ways that God instructs me to give. But I trust there will be a day in eternity when I see the impact of where God put his money through my life. Let that be our prayer. Will you bow your heads and pray with me?